0: Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 33, And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. And when you see that word devil, there's one devil, there's many demons. And in this situation it's talking about a demon. The spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God." And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they were all amazed, and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this! For with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. One of the reasons, I think, for this message, and maybe this series, a friend of mine had posted something recently on Facebook and what they posted was that asking a question, why is it that you don't hear preachers warning people about Satan and about demons today? And I got to thinking about that and I said, That's, you know, you don't hear that. You don't hear a lot of preachers talking about that today. But I'm going to tell you, as I said just a moment ago, Satan and his cohorts are very real. There are a lot of folks today that scoff at the idea of demons. A lot of folks that use demon possession as an excuse sometimes to commit crimes. I realize that. But many seek to deny the existence of demons because of the immature attitude that some folks have toward them. Listen, Satan is not a creature that has horns coming out of his head and a pointed tail and wearing a red suit and carrying a pitchfork. In fact, what the word of God tells us is that he is very lovely. You know, I think of that ad many times that we've seen on television. If you watch much television, if you watch sports especially, many times they'll have an ad for a beer company. And you've got all these guys out in nature and they're sitting around the campfire and, and they're all lifting a cool one and they're saying, boy, it doesn't get any better than this. Folks, that's not reality. If you want reality, go look at the drunk in the gutter with vomit and flies all over his face. You look at the destroyed homes. You look at abused children. Now that's the reality of what following Satan and living that kind of life really does. Some seek to deny the devil and deny demons because you know educated people just don't believe that stuff, right? Now, if anybody's smart, they'll listen to what the word of God says. We're only hurting ourselves to deny the existence of a devil and deny the existence of demons. I heard a story about a fighter, a boxer came in to his corner between rounds and he told his trainer, he told his manager, he said, man, throw in a towel. He said, I'm, I'm getting beat up out there. It's really, they're working me over. And the manager looked at him and said, oh man, that other guy's hardly laid a glove on you. And he says, well, you keep an eye on the referee then because somebody's working me over in that ring. <laughs> well, now listen, folks, somebody's working us over as God's people. And somebody's working us over as the Lord's churches. And somebody's doing a lot of damage to us as the Lord's churches. <coughs> Satan is not a figment of the imagination. Satan is not somebody that preachers made up to keep people coming to church. Satan is a real being. He has all the qualities of a real person and he is the bitterest enemy of God. Satan hates God and he is the evil opposite of everything that God is good. Okay, But he doesn't act alone. What we know is that when Lucifer, and that was his name originally, you can read it in the scripture. We understand, we believe, not all of them are named archangels. I think Michael's the only one that's named an archangel, but we believe there were three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And Lucifer was over the material creation. But if you read in Isaiah the 14th chapter, he began to be lifted up. In fact, if you read in Ezekiel 28, the word of God says of him, you were perfect in your ways till pride was found in your heart. And so we read about that pride working in Isaiah 14 where he says, you know, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be like the most high. He's saying in his heart, I am going to be equal with God. And so we're told that he was cast out of heaven We'll read that verse in just a moment in the 12th chapter of Revelation, but in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, you know what Jesus said? He said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from the sky. Jesus saw Lucifer cast out of heaven. Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 3 says, "...and there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born." A third part of the stars of heaven talks about the angels that God had created. And one-third, when Lucifer rebelled against God, one-third of all of the angels, how many angels did God create? We don't know. Myriads upon myriads, ten-thousands upon ten-thousands, who knows how many angels there are, but one-third of them said, we're going with you, Lucifer. And the scripture says he drew them out of heaven. They were cast to the earth. And then if you want to just... Look at the last part of verse 4 for a moment. You know what Satan's been trying to do ever since he was cast out of heaven? He's been trying to destroy the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. You read about Herod trying to kill him and, and all of the things that happened to Jesus while he was up on this earth. But these fallen angels, these third part of the stars is what we refer to as demon spirits today who do the bidding of their master, you see, Satan's not omnipresent, Satan is a created being, he can't be everywhere. I told you before, I love it when a preacher says, Boy, the devil was sure in my church today, that means he wasn't here. Amen. Okay, now his demons are probably here today, they're probably demon spirits watching what we are doing today and listening to this message. And by the way, they're not going to like the message. You know, you, you guys can just quit listening. You're not going to like it. All right. But Satan has to have these minions of his to do his bidding. And they don't have, the, the demons don't have any love for God. They've already, already rebelled against God. They chose who they want to serve. They chose their master and that is Satan. And they know that with that choice, they've sealed their eternity. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then verse 14 says and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. The eternity for Satan and for his demons is to spend an eternity in what the word of God calls the lake of fire. And there's going to be some lost people there with them. That's what the word of God says. So as we look at this this morning, the first thing I want to talk about is the reality of demons, the reality of demons. There is, as I've been saying, there is a devilish spirit world in this life with which we have to contend, folks, and it is very real. Now, if you don't believe in a spirit world, I'm sorry. The word of God is very clear that there is a spirit world. One of my favorite passages of scripture comes from, I think it's Second Kings. I always get it confused. I think it's the 6th chapter of Second Kings. When Elisha, I think it was, was in the mountain of Samaria. And the king of Assyria had him surrounded. And his servant was so worried about what are we going to do? And God prayed that he'd just opened the eyes of that servant. And he looked out and he saw horses and chariots from God. who was there to protect them. There is... spirit world and we are living in the midst of that spirit world Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 reveals our struggle what does it say we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places that word principalities talked about the highest dignitaries of evil powers powers talked about authority So he's saying the highest delegated authorities in the spirit world, that's what we're wrestling against. That's what we fight against on a daily basis, even as God's people. Some suggest that that word carries the idea of superhuman authority and power or demons. Rulers of darkness talked about those who hold the world in darkness. Did you ever wonder why things are happening in America the way they are today? Because the rulers of darkness. Have become rulers of this nation, folks. Amen. You say you're talking about the president? I didn't say his name. I didn't say the president. I said the rulers of darkness have taken control of this nation today. And that's why things are as they are in our great nation. And spiritual wickedness, that which is evil in spirit nature or evil in nature, it's going to be a great day in America. When people learn that not everything that is spiritual is of God. I think we've got a lot of people that think if it's spiritual, it must be of God. First John chapter 1 verse 4 tells us what? says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. And then he says this, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There's a lot of false teachers out there. There's a lot of false preachers out there. What are we supposed to do? How do you try the spirits? How do you try a teacher? How do you try a preacher? This is why it's so important to know this right here. Because if, even if what I preach doesn't agree with this, don't listen to me, Amen. all right? I mean, that's how serious it is. This is the divinely inspired and inerrant word of God. It tells us everything that we need to know to have eternal life and to serve God on a daily basis. It tells us about the value of a New Testament church. It tells what Jesus did for us. But if a teacher doesn't agree with it, you know, I like to, when people start telling me things, I like to ask this question sometimes, okay, chapter and verse. Well, the Bible says chapter and verse, tell me, you know. I'll go look it up for myself. If it doesn't agree with the Bible, just spit it out. Don't listen to it. And it will be a great day in America when people learn that not all miracles are of God. Folks, Satan has great power. If you read of the children of Israel in Egypt, and Moses went before Pharaoh, and Moses did many mighty miracles. But you know what? Some of Pharaoh's magicians were able to duplicate some of those miracles that Moses performed by the power of God. So again, not every miracle is of God. See, our primary battle today is not with the pornographers. It's not with those who sell alcohol, not with the IRS, not with the communists. It's not with flesh and blood. Our primary battle today as God's people is with these powers of darkness. And why do demons attack humans? Well, I'll tell you why. Because demons hate God. And they know that God loves people. And if you hate someone, but you can't hurt that person, what's the next best thing? You hurt somebody they love. And that'll hurt them. And so demons attack humans and attack God's people today. Do you deny demons? Well, if you do, somebody's doing some harm to us and I'd like to know who it is. Where does it come from? It comes from Satan and from his demons. Demons have many devices by which they attack the saved. We need to know what they are. We need to be alert. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul said, we don't need to be ignorant. We don't need to be unknowing of the devices that Satan used. And by the way, he names one of them right here in these verses that I just read. Do you realize that the sin of unforgiveness is one of Satan's devices? When we just refuse to forgive somebody, Satan's where you, you know what the scripture says about our unforgiveness, especially toward a brother or sister in Christ, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, if you don't forgive a brother, what? God's not gonna forgive you. Because your refusal to forgive a brother or sister in Christ puts you out of fellowship with God. You're sinning. And so your prayers for forgiveness then go unanswered because we are in the midst of sin when we're not being forgiving. But I want to give you three devices of Satan. Two of them come against believers. One comes against unbelievers. And the very first one I want to mention, and this is one that can come against you and I who are saved, and that is Oppression. Oppression. That's one of Satan's devices. Well, what are you talking about? Oppression. Listen to what Acts 10.38 says. It tells us that Jesus healed all that were oppressed of the devil. It's the same word that James uses when he asks, do rich men oppress you? This word oppress means to use power against someone. It talks about exercising power over another person. Oppression is a force that works from the outside in. It puts pressure, oppression, it puts pressure on you. Why, when you start to witness to someone or you think you want to witness to someone, why do you feel inhibited and why do you feel afraid? Because there's some pressure coming in. Well, what if they say, what if they react this way? What if they react that way? And all it is is Satan using fear. He's attacking us from the outside with fear to cause us to close our mouths and not witness of Christ. And he's done that for a long time because I still say one of the reasons that we're in the shape we're in today is because, not because the world's so bad, but because God's people just haven't done, the Lord's churches just haven't done what God has given us to do, and that is to carry the message of Jesus Christ in all the world. Hey, if I witness to my best friend, they may not be my friend anymore. Well, listen, if somebody will unfriend you, whether on Facebook or in life, because you witnessed, because you care enough about them and about their eternity to witness to them of Jesus, I don't know that they're really a friend anyway. You know, a friend tells a friend something, even something that that friend doesn't want to hear because they care about them. Amen. But we know... That, that oppression, we know that that fear does not come from God. Amen. Is anybody familiar with Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven, one of my favorite verses in the scripture? In fact, I carry with me a little picture. It's a great big great Dane and a little bit of Chihuahua. and the caption is that verse. It says, "For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love." And of a sound mind. That word fear talks about moral cowardice. It talks about timidity. When we are afraid, when we are afraid to stand up, stand up for Jesus, when we are afraid to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's moral cowardice, that's timidity. And that did not come from God. God gives us what? Power, and love, and a sound mind. Satan gives us what? Fear. See, here's what Satan does. He takes the very opposite of what God gives us and then uses that opposite against us. You need to be afraid. Don't witness to that person. They may get angry. And so Satan uses pressure and oppression and he uses the pressures of the world and the temptation to sin against us also. You know, according to the fifth chapter of Galatians, you know that one of the things that is in your flesh naturally is something called lust, right? Since Mr. Carter did years ago what he did, everybody always thinks of lust in a sensual manner. It's not always used in that manner. You can lust after things, okay? So we have lust in us. And listen to what James says in James chapter 1, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, Satan knows that we've got that in us and he works on that lust and he entices us. That word entice means to catch with a bait. It's like going out with an artificial lure and fishing and catching a big bass, okay? And Satan works on us and on that lust to catch us, to entice us. Do not think that demons will not come against a dedicated, faithful child of God. We are their primary targets, folks. Because Satan knows if he can get me and especially a preacher, I think, but any other child of God who's faithful to the Lord. But if he can get me or get you to turn our backs on God, to go away from God, to quit serving God, then he's won a great victory because he can hold us up to the world and say, see, it wasn't all that serious with them. There's nothing to it. Don't listen to them. Listen, if Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness folks, he'll tempt you too. Amen. Well, the next thing that he uses is obsession. Obsession. Luke 6:18 says, "Jesus healed those that were vexed with unclean spirits." Acts 5:16 says, "A multitude brought them which were vexed with unclean spirits." Now, if you look up synonyms in Webster's dictionary, you're going to find out that the word vex and the word obsess are identical. They mean the same thing. They are synonyms. What does it mean to vex? It means to harass. It means to trouble. And so Satan uses oppression and then he uses obsession against the children of God. Oppression comes from the outside in. You know where obsession comes from? From the inside out. It's again working on that lust and and our sin nature that is within us. It deals more with the mind and the spirit of men than it does with the flesh, although it involves the flesh. We have a lot of people today that are obsessed with many, many different things like sex and money and all of those things. And we're going to mention some of those in just a moment. But we have many people that are obsessed with many different things. And some of those people profess to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Some are, I said, some are obsessed with sex. That's all they think of. We have seen recently in our city, if you read the news, look at the newspaper or look at the online news, there have been many different trials about either men abusing sexually, abusing children or or women or whatever it may be. What's the problem? Well, this is it. Those who are obsessed with sex read pornography to feed their obsession and they can't get enough of it. And if you go into any, especially a convenience store in this town, what are you going to see standing right out in front of everybody? America today is obsessed with sex. What are the most popular movies and TV shows, or how are they advertised many times? Because of their sexual content. Many years ago, there was a television show. I didn't watch it. I just saw the ads for it. There was a television show called... Anybody remember this particular... This is wide open, so you may not know what show I'm talking about. But there was a TV show called Sex and the City. Right there in the title of it. I hope nobody watched that show. There is an area of study in college business courses that deals with using sex in advertising. And if you'll watch some of these ads you'll see they're using that. I mean, you don't advertise a ballpoint pen with a very provocatively dressed woman, but I've seen one an ad like that. That takes your attention away from the ballpoint pen if you're not careful. I've seen all sorts of ads using sex to try to sell their product. Why? Because America is obsessed with sex. And some of The people who profess to know Christ as Savior are obsessed with it also. But then there are people who are obsessed with drugs. They would do anything to get drugs. They would kill. They would steal. Anything just to get drugs. You know, many times hospitals have what they call frequent flyers. And they just come in, nothing really wrong with them, but they come in hoping to get some drugs or or something to take that they can check out of reality a little bit better. That's all they think of. They're obsessed. By the way, did you know that drug use, I'm not, to me, drug use is drug abuse, all right? Did you know that this use of drugs is one of the four big sins that's named in the book of Revelation during the tribulation? Listen to Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed By these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils or demons, and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders. We have a problem with murder today? Certainly do. Or their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor of their thefts. We understand what fornication and thefts are. We know what murders are. Do you realize that word sorceries is from the Greek word pharmakaios? What word do we get from pharmakaios? Pharmaceutical. Pharmacist. And that word pharmakaios means to enchant with drugs. It can refer to a drug and it can also refer to a poisoner. And that's what drugs do. And by the way, I will just point out alcohol is a drug. We hear people say drugs and alcohol. No, alcohol's a drug. And when I'm talking about drugs, I'm talking about alcohol just as much as I am any other drug, whether it's methamphetamine. Aaron sent me an interesting story last night. Man goes into a police station. Now this is how bad you get sometimes when you're obsessed with drugs. Man goes into the police station. He goes into the public restroom in the police station and he's in there quite a while. And finally, somebody thinks we may ought to check on him. And they go in and he is in there with a glass pipe smoking methamphetamine inside the public restroom in the police station. Not the smartest thing in the world to do. And Of course, he got arrested right away. But people are obsessed with sex. They're obsessed with drugs. They're folks that are obsessed with money and materialism. They're driven to have more. They can never be satisfied. Enough is never enough. One more dollar, one more dime, one more penny, one more Business success. If necessary, they will lie, they will cheat, they will scam their friends and family just to have another dollar. I tell you what, if there were Sears catalogs today, see, today you have to do it like that, and there's not even Sears anymore, but if there were Sears catalogs today, they'd wear them out just looking for stuff they wanted to buy. Obsessed materially, I want to have more. And then there are people who are obsessed with bitterness and with hatred. They seek revenge. They don't show Christ's love. They seek revenge. They don't forgive. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Be ye angry and sin not. Is it okay to be angry? Well, as long as you don't sin. We need to be angry at, you know Jesus was angry. Remember him turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple? What was he angry with? What they were doing to God's house. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And we need to get angry at the sin. We need to love the people. We need to get angry with the sin. But he says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. That word give place has the idea of giving room or giving opportunity. See, when we're angry and we hold a grudge and we won't let go of it, you know what we're doing? We're just opening the door wide open for Satan. Come on in. I invite you to just come on in. And then... There are folks who fellowship and invite the fellowship of demon spirits. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Look at verses 19 through 21. What say I then that the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? And the answer is no. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils or demons And not to God, and I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. He said it is possible for a child of God to invite the fellowship of demon spirits into his life. How do you do it? Well, worshiping idols is one of them. Do we have any idols in America? Well, certainly we do. But listen, there's a reason That I stay away from Ouija boards. There's a reason I stay away from horoscopes. There's a reason I stay away from fortune tellers. There's a reason I stay away from demonic movies. You don't need them in your life, child of God. You're inviting the fellowship of demon spirits into your life. I know I'm going to get in trouble for this. And I'm going to have people criticize me for this. But we've got a holiday called Halloween coming up. You study the origin of that holiday. It is demonic in its nature. And yet it's been brought to America and practiced in America. And it's just a fun time for children to dress up like demons and devils and witches and all of those demonic things and go out and get candy. I'll buy you a bag of candy. <laughs> but don't get into that. I know I'm, I'm old and all of that stuff. But folks, I'm more and more attuned today than ever before of avoiding fellowship with demons. I don't want them in the church. I don't want them in my life. I told you at the outset, I figure I'm going to get attacked in some way after this message today. And if I continue with this series, I'm thinking about reviving an old series about from about nine years ago and sharing it with you. And if that happens, I'm really going to need your prayers, folks. And pray for my wife because she has to put up with it. The third device that Satan uses as possession. Now, that's not going to happen to a child of God. Listen to what it says, and in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. Again, that's a demon, a demonic being. A demon can take the place in a person that is reserved for the Holy Spirit. There was a man years ago who wrote a book, I've forgotten his name, forgotten the name of the book, but he said, and I like this, he said, there's a, in every person there's a God shaped vacuum. There's a place in every person where God wants to take up residence, but if God doesn't take up residence and Satan takes up residence, he begins to possess that individual, and he can take over the mind and the emotion and the will of that individual, and somebody will say, Brother Jim, you really believe there's such a thing as demon possession today, and I do. Here's the problem. We'd rather not acknowledge it. We want to ignore it. We want to say, oh, that's just something that Linda Blair did in the movies years ago, right? Right? And that's the way we want to approach it. But how else do you explain perverts who physically and sexually abuse and violate children other than demonic possession? How do you explain those who go on a murdering rampage, mass killers, without explaining demon possession? How do you explain ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden and the Saddam Hussein to the world? The Hitlers, the Stalins, the Jeffrey Dahmers. The David Koresh's. How do you explain them without understanding that there is such a thing as demon possession in this world? So the question comes, can a believer be demon possessed? And the answer is absolutely not. Now, a believer may be oppressed and a child of God may be obsessed But for a believer, for a child of God to be demon-possessed, the Holy Spirit would have to be dispossessed. And folks, pardon my grammar, but that ain't going to happen. So why do some people who profess Christ act like they do? Again, they're oppressed or they're obsessed, but they're not demon-possessed. Well, we, right quickly, I want us to look at the authority of Jesus over demons. We know what their devices are, some of their devices. What about the authority of Jesus over demons? Demons are conquered by Jesus. Satan and his demons are defeated foes already. When Jesus said, it's finished, <laughs> on the cross, that spelled the final fate of Satan and his demons. Jesus had defeated Satan by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection, by his ascension into heaven. And he's coming back, I like to call it, he's coming back from mop-up operations, okay? He's going to come back and take care of the rest of it. All authority in heaven and earth, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. All authority is given to Jesus. That means authority over demons. Listen, demons have to confess Jesus. You realize that? Look, just look at our text. Look at what this demon said. I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. He recognized Jesus and he had to confess him. And when he confessed him, he recognized his authority because verse 34, he says, did you come to destroy us? That indicates to me with the us right there, indicates there may have been more than one demon in that man. He said, did you come? You have the ability, you have the authority. Did you come to destroy us? See, demons would rather humans not recognize the Lord's authority over them. But this demon did. And demons are more orthodox than some liberal preachers because they recognize the authority of Jesus and the deity of Jesus, and some preachers deny his deity. You don't realize that one of the reasons demons know who Jesus is is they worshiped him in heaven before they were cast out. They know they were created by him, okay? They recognize him. And Jesus knows that he created them also, and he knows that they have to confess him. You read in the scripture every time he came up against a demon spirit. But demons also display animosity toward the Lord Jesus. Demons hate Jesus. What did this man, what did this demon in our text say? Let us alone. Leave us alone. Did you come to destroy us? Well, just leave us alone. We don't want anything out of you. Did you ever wonder why some people get so angry when you try to witness to them? I don't want to hear that. Don't talk to me about this Jesus stuff. Don't try to tell me about Jesus. I don't want to listen to you. Don't preach to me. I will not hear it. You know what's happened? They've come under the influence of demonic spirits. They've come under the influence of the power of darkness. They don't want their sinfulness exposed by the light of the gospel. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, is hid to who? Them that are lost. Them that don't know Christ. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The lost may not even realize why they don't like the gospel. They just don't like it. They just know that they don't like it. And so there's a daily battle going on for the souls of men. Demons are afraid of Christ because they know he has, again, the power to destroy them are they come to destroy us. You remember what James says in James chapter 2 about demons? He says devils there. The devils believe in God and they do what? They tremble. That word tremble has the idea of shuddering in fear. Okay? Some folks won't even shudder in fear at the thought of Jesus, at the name of Jesus. But demons do. The the devils do. They may act brave. The lost may fear death, and they will fear death, and they will fear judgment, because one of these days, they're going to come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the seventh chapter of Matthew. Read beginning in verse 21. Oh, Lord, didn't we? Preach in your name. Let's prophesy. And in your name, cast out demons and do many wonderful works. He'll say, I I say to you, depart. I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. Regardless of how brave they act, they fear. And we must remember what John said. The apostle John said in 1 John 4, 4. Year of God, little children and overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We don't have to fear. And then demons must agree with Christ. They have to obey him. Demons have to obey the Lord Jesus. They have got to yield to his authority. When Jesus says, and he did in this text, come out, what did the demon do? (laughs) Well, it says he came out. But listen, Satan and his demons will not give up easily on a person. We think all I have to do is just witness to somebody one time, they're going to be saved. No, it's going to be harder than that. Now, if you look at what happened here, these demons or this demon came out screeching in anger. Mark says when the demons came out, they had torn him. Now, I know Luke says they heard him not. How do you reconcile that, Brother Jim? See, that's something Satan would try to use to get people to deny the Bible and the inspiration of the Bible. Mark says the demon tore him. Luke says he didn't hurt him. Well, it's understanding what that word torn means. And here's the explanation of it. Torn has the idea of a spasmodic contraction or to convulse as with epilepsy. You know what happened when this demon came out of this man? He came out screeching. He came out in anger and he sent the man into convulsions. But the man himself was unharmed. Demons have to agree with Christ. And in fact, if you look at verse 35, what did Jesus say to that demon? Hold thy peace. Now, I like the understanding of what hold thy peace means. It means to be muzzled as a dog. Jesus has said to this demon that came out screeching, He said, Put a muzzle on it. And guess what? That demon had to put a muzzle on it because Jesus told him to. And if Jesus has authority over demons, guess what? As children of God, we have victory. In this world. In Luke 9, the first two verses of Luke 9, Jesus gave his apostles power and authority over demons. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And the purpose of the power, of course, was to prove that the message is from God. Luke chapter 10, verse 11. He sent out the 70, and it says the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils or the demons are subject unto us through thy name. In giving the great commission, again, what did he say? All power, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. So how can we have victory over the kingdom of darkness? Here's how we can have when we are in Jesus Christ, and we fully submit to the lordship of Jesus and to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's how to have victory in this kingdom of darkness that we live in. Remember, Satan's called the God of this world. Now, I know the world seeks to solve the problems of sin and evil. And one of the things they try to use is legislation. But folks, law can't deal with the heart. The only thing that laws and prisons can do, and you say you're against laws and prisons, no, I'm for them. But they cannot solve the problem of sin. Here's an illustration. A dad was trying to talk to someone. His son kept repeatedly getting up, walking around and, all, and his dad would say, sit down, sit down, sit down. Finally, he took that child by both shoulders, pushed him down the chair and said, I said, sit down. And as he walked away, he heard his son say, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Law can't touch what's on the inside. And it can't take care of the heart. You cannot, you've heard this phrase before, but you cannot legislate righteousness. We have so many laws in our nation today. I'm afraid to move this way or that way sometimes, you know, because there's a law for everything. And still things are worse than they've ever been. You can't legislate somebody into righteousness. Listen to what Paul said to the Galatian churches. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it's not. Righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ. The world also seeks to solve the problem through education. Now I'm all for education. To our young people, I would say get as good an education as you can get. When you go to college or even in high school, when they try to teach you Darwin's theory of evolution, learn just enough to give back on a test to make a good grade on the test and then forget it. Because it's not true. It's not biblical. But many believe the answer is education. If we can just teach people. If we can just teach them to be better, they will be better. The reason people, they'll say this the reason people sin and commit crimes is they just don't know any better. Listen, you can teach people all you want to teach people, but people commit sin and people commit crimes for one reason they are sinners. And the answer for sin is not education, merely education, it has to be a change of heart. Hitler's Nazi Germany was one of the best educated societies in the world. And look at what they did. Ignorance just holds the uneducated in bondage to people who are educated. That's all ignorance does. So you need some education. But listen to what Theodore Roosevelt, President Theodore Roosevelt said about education one time. He said, a man who has never gone to school may steal from a freight car, but if he has a university education, he may steal the whole railroad. You just to make smarter criminals when all you do is educate them without changing the heart. And the only way to change the heart is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Mere education. And I'm, again, for education. Especially since our daughter started teaching. I'm all for education. I think teachers ought to be paid millions of dollars a year with what they put up with. And she does too, right? But education alone cannot prevent sin. And then others say it's a bad environment. Oh, my, my, my. If you'll just change the environment that these people grow up and these kids grow up in, you're going to make better people. Where did mankind get into trouble? In a perfect environment. In the Garden of Eden. God gave Adam one rule. One. Do not eat of the of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he didn't even keep that one in a perfect environment. The world deals with symptoms and not the cause, the cause is the heart. And again, change the heart, and you'll change the environment. I'm thankful to have grown up in a Christian home because I can't imagine where I might have been if neither of my parents had been saved and had raised me in a home where Jesus was not the center of that home. The victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil is in Jesus himself. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But you won't submit, and you won't resist until you know Jesus Christ, as Savior, and he becomes first and foremost in your heart and in your life. Saved, dedicated believers will come into battle against the devil. We will face Satan. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Get ready, it's coming. And it's coming in greater numbers and with greater force, I think, than it's ever come before. Satan knows this time is short. I mean, you just look around you this morning. I know we've got some folks out of town. But think about how many members we have of this church and look around you and see how much wood's showing today. I guess that's wood. That's material, okay? What's the problem? Satan, sin, oppression, obsession. If you're oppressed by the devil, here's what you do. Get closer to Jesus and serve him faithfully. If you're obsessed with anything that we've mentioned, get close to Jesus. You need him. And you need to get a... I wish people would get obsessed with Jesus, you know. Mm -hmm. with serving Jesus. And remember that a lost person is a candidate for possession by a demon spirit. Again, you say, would you, would you think that would really happen? I believe Satan will make it as difficult as he can make it. And I know I'm probably addressing anybody that may be watching by live stream or listening on the podcast with this, but... Satan will make it as hard as he can make it for you to be saved. He will give you excuses. He may even bring some saved people into your life that will become a horrible example of what a child of God ought to be and cause you to question the reality of being a child of God, being saved and having a change in your life. He will do everything he can, even to the point, I believe, of possessing a person to keep them from accepting Jesus. We live in a world today that not only is obsessed with so many of these things that I mentioned, but obsessed with Satan and obsessed with serving him. This friend that I told you about at the beginning has an elected position. They're in a place of influence. And they were telling me in a private message that they have been attacked by a satanic priest had several different things done to them and and their home and so forth. Folks, it's real. There's real opposition to the Word of God. There's real opposition to Jesus Christ today. And you know, that's a song we sing, but we ought to do it, stand up, stand up for Jesus. We're not supposed to be an army that's backing up and that's retreating. We're supposed to be an army that's going forward and winning victories through the Lord Jesus Christ.